Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. From Vice and Brent 2020, London Borough of Culture, this is Vent Documentaries. Young people from one London borough telling you the stories we care about. This is Series 3, where we're talking about justice. I'm Layla. How are you, first of all? Let me just ask you, how are you? Uh, that's a good question. <laughs> I feel like that... I feel, don't you feel like now, when you ask that question to someone black, especially, it carries, like, a different meaning, there's a different weight behind it? Do you know what I mean? Yeah. At the end of May 2020, a video of George Floyd dying under the knee of a Minneapolis police officer went viral. To be black is to be an afterthought in this country. To be black is to be an other, not another. I kneel because I matter. I kneel because we matter. Not after the death, not after the crime, but we matter because we exist. People march for black lives across the US and then across the world. Black people, I love you. Protests carried on in June and July, calling for justice. Today marks the day that a young woman by the name of Breonna Taylor would have been celebrating her 27th birthday. Statues were pulled down. Football fascists held anti-protests in Trafalgar Square. And every day, I woke up to resources, black squares and videos of police brutality on social media. And this all happened against the backdrop of a global pandemic. Coronavirus is a deadly virus. These last few months have been mad and overwhelming. We're horrified. We also have police that seem to have impunity from homicide. Very ugly attacks on the police or public. We can't accept that. The extreme far right have a number of groups who are embarking on counter-protests, sowing division and hatred. When Vice asked me if I wanted to make a documentary with them on the theme of justice, I decided I wanted to use this time to try and process how I was feeling with other people I can relate to who are going through this too. This documentary bears witness to a moment in time, the summer of 2020. Before, like, everything that was sparked after George Floyd's death. Yeah. 
I wasn't someone that was very good at talking about racism. This is Linda Ade, BBC News journalist and host of BBC Sounds podcast, The Next Episode. Linda did a few shows talking about the BLM movement in June, and I wanted to see how she was feeling about everything. I mean, you talk about it with your friends if something really overt happens, exactly. like some extreme incident or whatever. Exactly. I, like, never really had deep conversations about race ever. I just never did that. Yeah, I can relate. I can relate. Do you know what I mean? So mm-hmm. uh, when you're forced to have to do that, especially in the middle of a pandemic where you can't even go out. Because I remember when it got really thick, it was like you could only go to the park with one other person that wasn't in your household or something like that. So it's not even like you can even go and see a friend or you can really do stuff that you need to do to kind of heal properly or like come to terms with your emotions. Mm. You're being told there's a lot of racist stuff happening, but you ain't allowed to get out of your house. So you've right. got to deal with it inside the four corners of your bedroom yeah. or your living room. Yeah. So that made things really hard. Worse, yeah. So at the beginning, I wasn't dealing with things very well, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. What about you? Honestly speaking, I feel like just a lot of things have been happening. I'm not going to lie. Mm. And it's all in a short space of time. It's like every day you hear something and it's like, oh, damn, here we go again. Yeah. You get me? And it, as you said, like, just not being able to go out or just not being able to see people that, you know, have been there for you. It's just been like, oh, rah. Yeah. Like, I have to deal with this alone. What was the most, if you don't, if you feel comfortable sharing this, like, what was the most stressful thing about everything that's been going on to do with, like, race? Social media actually played a big part in it. I'm not even going to lie, because that's yeah. the only thing that we were seeing. Just, you know, as you just start overthinking someone died or someone did this or da 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 And it's all in one, it just, like, all in let's say one week or all in a space of one month, you're hearing different activities. You get me? Mm. So you as an individual, you're like, oh, I see my people, they're struggling and, mm. you know, da, 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 da. and then on top of that, <laughs> then you hear people saying, you know, it doesn't happen in the UK. Stop there. It does. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it made me, I was pissed. Like, I was so pissed. Like, This isn't the first time that we've had a big social movement, like a social injustice movement where we're fighting systematic racism. Mm -hmm. Black Lives Matter in the UK has been around for a few years. At first, they weren't even taken very seriously, in my opinion. Right. When they were doing things like um, demonstrations at Heathrow Airport and things like that and laying in the roads, they were mocked. So this isn't the first time. And we've had countless black men and women lose their lives after police contact, after um, being arrested in police custody. This has happened in the UK many mm. times. The victims' names or the names of people are arrested. countless. Leon Patterson, Christopher Alder, Joy Gardner, Henry Stanley. But it Sarah. felt like it was like a bittersweet feeling because it felt like, OK, so what the families of victims here in this country have been banging on about for Anthony decades. Mm-hmm. Sheku Bayo, 
Autumn Manning. It's finally seeming to move up the list of priority in terms of like talking points, debate points, Newsnight wanted to debate it. But how comes these families weren't taken so seriously? How comes it needed to be all the way on the other side of the world and it needed to be so drastic, so violent, so malicious for people to wake up? So it made me quite angry, if anything. Yeah. I just felt really, like, resentful towards people that didn't quite believe. Mm. Like, do you think that we are all just so delusional that we are making up our experiences of racism? Like, Mm. do you believe... Do you think that we are... What's the word? I don't even know what the word is. Like, Why would we all be screaming that this is how we are being treated and this is how we feel if it wasn't true? Racism is a white people's problem. The problem is we've had to become the experts in it, you know? This is the next person I spoke to, Siana Bangura. I am a writer, producer, community organiser and a bunch of other things depending on who's asking and what day and what project. (laughs) You've written articles for people like The Independent and Vice. Mm -hmm. Really good. Saying that... The responsibility to end structural racism rests on white people's shoulders. Period. What do you mean by that? It's everything it says on the tin. (laughs) A lot of black people, a lot of brown people, indigenous people, people of colour, global majority people have made this point very clear. You know, why is it that even though this is a white person's problem, the rest of us have had to carry the burden um, of anti-blackness. It's black people that have to carry the burden of undoing it. And I think for too long, white people have been allowed to get away with being like, oh, it's not my problem. Oh, I don't see race. Oh, I don't need to talk about this. It's like, nah, bruvs, nah, sis, nah, person. Mm. Well, it's really your problem. Though it's not you that did X, Y, Z. Your ancestors did it. And at the end of the day, period. And at the end of the day, you are still responsible, exactly. right? And and it's a responsibility. You're still responsible because so long as you live in a society that benefits from white supremacy, whether you are poor and you're white, whether you are working class and you're white, right. all the things that make your life hard, right. the one thing that doesn't make your life harder is the fact that you are white, exactly. right? Your race isn't the thing that adds on to your suffering. And I think it's really important to acknowledge that as a truth and then we can move forward. So if you are someone who was born by chance and you have money and all these kind of things, it's your responsibility to redistribute that wealth. Exactly. Right? How are you going to fund the revolution? How are you going to fund the work that the rest of us are doing? Okay? Like, if you have that, instead of crying and being like, oh no, like, I'm really embarrassed that I have money, redistribute that wealth, you know, and then work towards us resisting and deconstructing and, like, tearing down these systems. There's a sense of shame and guilt, isn't there? Linda Addy. I'm not talking even about racists. Mm -hmm. I'm talking about people that have enabled racism. Right. Like, I think there is a sense of guilt that was so obvious, like, Mm -hmm. on social media. Like, you saw people defensive because I think they've come to terms with the fact that this has been happening. Right. These are valid issues and they've ignored them all this time. Right. Yeah. What that means for black people, I don't know. Is that my problem that you've 
woken up to the fact that you have ignored racism for many years. Mm. I don't think that is our problem necessarily. Does fighting racism have to include helping white people to empathise with our experiences? Helping white people, like holding white people's hands through it? Like, is, how do you mean? Like educating white people. Do you like, do you oh. feel, yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> the thing is, yeah, right. Asking someone to educate you on racism especially asking a black person which i think is super insensitive but asking a black person to educate you on racism to me is feeding some sort of guilt Mm -hmm. that you have and i think maybe that makes you feel like you're doing something Mm. but you ain't my mom has this saying you're adding insult to injury (laughs) my mom sees that as well (laughs) (laughs) so it's like you've already acknowledged that this is a victim right and then now you're asking the victim to walk the perpetrator through healing and processing <laughs> and understanding what they've done to cause this victim so much pain. Mm. It's a piss take, really. <laughs> really like, come is. on, it is. <laughs> I'm kind of over the talking, if that makes sense. I really don't want to know. I've kind of had enough of like sitting around and debating. Yeah. I just want us to make like action now. I want to see society exactly. back us up with action, if that makes sense. Exactly. We are tired as a community and I think action is what we want, innit? We just want to see, back it up with a bit of action. Period. Yeah. Yeah. Hundreds. There are people, you know, including myself, who feel like they have the patience, the tolerance and the energy still to like do the work that contributes to that learning. Mm. Because unfortunately, there's not enough white people that I know that I can trust to completely like do this work on their own without being accountable to black and brown people. Siana Bangura. There's too many people who use these moments to like profit. You know, too many white people who use anti-racism and all of that as like a new thing for them to center themselves in basically. Mm. So, you know, we always toe a fine line, but it's really important that that white people don't also just think it's enough to just read books in this moment and to, you know, send their money to a few GoFundMes and to watch a few films and think that their work is done. Nah, this is lifelong work and you're just getting started. You need to be asking yourself, are you really about it? And what are you about to sacrifice? What are you willing to sacrifice? Who are you willing to lose and fall out with Mm. over this? Um, And what are you really bringing to this, you know, to this movement, basically? There's this... um thing that's trending on Twitter about um, allies and I just wanted to know what is it? Yeah. <laughs> Do you know what's so funny about the term ally? So it's like with all good terms people make it something useless or people make it depoliticized or just just ruin good things you know? First you can't call yourself an ally like to be an ally truly like the community that you're supposedly an allyship need to see you that way yeah and i think too many people and this is just beyond race as well but too many people are like oh i'm an ally to the lgbtq plus community or i'm an ally to the black and brown communities ally to this ally to that but you know allyship to me is not enough anymore it's it's like passive actually mm. you know what we're trying to do now is you know borrowing language from black and brown feminists and indigenous feminists and people like that talking about this idea of being an active co-conspirator that's what we're talking about you know being someone who is active someone who is a comrade not just someone who's like oh I really sympathize with your plight so for me you know an ally isn't even adequate in this moment Mm. We need white people right. who are willing to do the work, who are serious, who are accountable, Period. who get it, who can be trusted. We need them. 
but it's not about like begging or you know because there's also always these criticisms like oh we're not begging for freedom mm. we're not asking and all that kind of stuff no it's not about coming coming with your you know your hands crossed and, and begging not at all but it's the honest realization that we need a critical mass basically and when you are in the diaspora when you live in babylon when you live in these places where you are although you're part of the global majority of the world you you live in an overwhelmingly white country if you really want that change to come you need a critical mass i get this but having these type of conversations with white people don't they get tiring you know, this is the work of like women and non-binary people and like gender non-conforming people. Mm. This is the work of racialized people, emotional labor. Emotional labor. That sounds like a good phrase to describe this feeling. The emotional labor of like having to always explain your existence, yeah. having to explain your identity, having to explain your culture, having to explain how you move in the world and why you move in the way that you do. This explanation, this constant state of having to explain oneself, that is emotional labour. Because I have loads of white friends, I have loads of colleagues Mm. that I love who are white. And just because I have white friends that I love does not mean that white people haven't been really shit to me. Period. Those two things can exist at the same time. Exactly. But I used to feel like really super bad. Like, oh my God, I I just, I went through this thing at work and I don't want to tell my white friends because I don't want them to feel guilty because it's not about them, but it is about white people and I don't want them to feel like I'm talking about them. That's emotional labour and that is not fair. And then I just literally remind myself that I don't owe anyone... Any explanation. Anything. I just... Mm. I actually don't owe you anything. Do you know what I mean? (laughs) Like, I just don't owe you anything. And I can't be responsible for how somebody feels. Feels. It's not my problem. If you feel guilty um, seeing threads, and to the point that I... I'm going to admit this, but, like, sometimes I don't want to retweet certain things on my timeline. Mm. Like I said, I've got lots of white colleagues that I absolutely love. Mm. And I'm scared to retweet things on my timeline in case they think I'm talking about them or being indirect or, you know, and I just feel like I shouldn't have to feel like that. So I do tend to remind myself that this is not my problem if they feel anyway after reading this stuff that I want to retweet. Exactly. So, yeah, for me, that emotional labour, that unfair emotional burden often comes on the most obvious people, right? But particularly black women and black femmes and black, yeah, just black gender non-conforming people, people who are red, female, whatever. And those are some of the things that we need to deconstruct as well. Like, mm. how do we, how do men learn to also do that work of care? When you're a black person and in the black community, it's very complicated because, you know, we just thinking about black women, for example, you're, you're dealing with the understanding that you're oppressed on racial axes and also gender axes, mm-hmm. as well as we're not even talking about disability, sexuality and all those other things. You know, you'll be oppressed by black men, but you also need to protect them. Exactly. Because the world is also a horror for them, right? Yeah. That to me is always very, very challenging, like navigating the hurt that black men can cause, often cause, while still trying your best to protect them from the hurt and the harm that the world causes on them. This feeling that Siana is talking about, of being kind of torn between your identity as a black person who's also a woman or a woman who's also a black person was given a name by a black woman, Kimberly Crenshaw, in 1989. She called it intersectionality. 
It speaks to this idea that when you're trying to understand structural oppression, you have to take into account how all the factors of someone's identity, their race, class, gender, sexual orientation, religion, they're all related to each other. I see both my race and my gender identity as being very, very linked. That's next. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. We're back. My name is Nemo Martin. I use they, them pronouns. As a non-binary person of colour, Nemo's relationship to fighting for justice is complicated. I think it is something that very recently the transgender community has had to face because there is a higher proportion of people who are being killed who are black trans women. And there was a really disappointing trend in white transgender people co-opting that narrative to say that it's transgender people being killed. Mm -hmm. It is, but it's, it's more specifically black trans women who are facing the brunt of hatred. Right. So I always see race and gender as being this like very heavily linked thing. For me personally, so I'm mixed race, I'm Japanese and white British. And for a long time, when I was first coming out as transgender, a lot of people were saying, a lot of white people were saying that I was very lucky that I was Asian because... Oh, Asian people are naturally androgynous. Or like, we don't really see Asian people having like heavy gender. And I felt really like conflicted about that because... I would too. Yeah. It's yeah. like, <laughs> I, I, I realize that you're trying to compliment me. Like you're trying to say like, oh, you know people won't assume that you're male or female, mm. which is what I want people to see me as. I don't want them to see me as male or female. Mm. But to say that it's because you don't see Asian people as having, like, male or femaleness is, like, really gross. Yeah. So, like, yeah, I get where you're coming from, but you are being racist. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Analyze a little bit exactly. what you're saying. Before you talk, <laughs> think before you ask, period. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Nima volunteers for an organisation called All About Trans. They put trans people in a room with big media industry professionals, journalists, TV writers and people like that and allow them to ask any questions they want about being trans. The idea is these journalists will learn lots of stuff and then their portrayals of trans people in the mainstream media would get better. So we get like um, some case studies. We read the the articles and usually they're pretty transphobic. And basically together sort of unpick why certain language is harmful and like what it means for us. Because I think something that a lot of people don't understand is like 
we do read the news as well. It's like they're writing for cis people, cisgender people, right. so not transgender people. Mm-hmm. And so they don't expect us to like have an opinion on the stuff that is about us. Yeah. All About Trans hopes that by teaching individual journalists to report better on transgender people, it will slowly filter down into the entire media. It's kind of like one huge exercise in emotional labour, and this is interesting to me. By engaging with cisgender journalists about what it's like being trans, Nemo's kind of doing the equivalent of me, talking to white people about why they should care about racism. Sitting down with a journalist and like meeting their eye and being like, this is why this article is so harmful for someone like me. Because if I read this when I was 16, then it would have made my life significantly harder. And like, that is what you are doing to me. Right. Something I'm thinking about in making this documentary is as a marginalized person, it's super tiring trying to convince other people to care about your life. Mm. Why have you chosen to volunteer to have hard conversations like this? That is an interesting question. And and it is something that I've been thinking about a lot. I think I have developed like a deeper understanding of myself. And I think I'm someone who learns by teaching other people. Right. And I think sometimes talking to someone who is outside of the bubble and realizing or like being able to sort out my own thoughts by explaining it to someone else is sometimes really helpful. But yeah, it it is really interesting because very recently, like I've chosen not to have these conversations with my family anymore. Mm. Whereas I will have the exact same conversations with these strangers. But then with strangers, it doesn't have like a a knock-on effect for the rest of my life. Exactly. And so I can dedicate this like amount of time, like two hours to go and talk to these people and then be like, well, I never have to see you again. And it doesn't matter what your actual opinion of me is. Mm. I asked Nemo if individual conversations like this could lead to structural change. The first people that I really came out to were people I worked with at the Natural History Museum. And this is you know, 50-year-old white cisgender men who I was terrified of coming out to because I only assume that they're going to be really crappy people. Yeah. But, like, even to this day are, like, having these really amazing conversations with me about race and gender and about the things that they're learning. And I like to hope that they're going to their meetings with their bosses and correcting their behaviour in a way that I can't Mm. because it's not... Like, the way the world works right now is that I, as a young like Asian non-binary person can't walk up to the leader of the museum and be like here here are my changes but I can tell my boss to go and talk to his boss to go and talk to his boss exactly so I, I hope that it is these individual conversations that have this like domino effect of working their way up the chain Do you think that every person has to do their bit to dismantle racism or is it okay for black people just to live their lives and not engage in activism? I think it's very important for black people to feel free to live their lives. The bottom line is, though, I think we all will live our lives as free as we can, knowing, though, that we still are subject to the 
the issues that come with being a black person in you know in, in this part of the world or black person in racist societies mm. as much as you can try to not engage I think it's very difficult and I think that's where we find you know conflict with black people who are a bit like I don't want to be an activist mm. I just want to live my life I want to be a baby girl I want to be a baby boy that's all fine I think you deserve that 100% but I think it is challenging to live that way when your very existence is politicised mm. Where Nemo has chosen to engage in conversations about gender with journalists, but not with their family, Sienna has drawn up different boundaries in who she chooses to engage with about race. So I have this theory that I've been developing called the cusp of change. You're never going to be like perfect, right, when you are a white person in a white supremacist society or when you're a man in a patriarchal society and all these things. But if you're willing, that kind of radical level of willingness, right? Mm-hmm. That willingness to push yourself, that willingness to get it wrong, that willingness to do that work and be humble about it. I think I'm willing to work with you. I'm not trying to work with Nazis. I'm not trying to work with fascists. I'm not trying to work with Nigel Farage and Boris and conservative people. Mm-hmm. I'm not trying to do any of that. That's not my work. For me, I'm working, I want to work with people who have a basic level of like, okay, yeah, racism does exist, sis. Exactly. And also sexism and misogynoir. Like we need basic levels of understanding. And for me, I'm willing to work with people, but they have need they need to have done a level of work themselves before exactly. <laughs> before I'm working with them. They need to be on the cusp of change. Thank you for listening to Venn Documentaries. I'm Layla. What gives you hope with stuff like this, though? Being able to talk openly and freely about our traumas and about the things that have hurt us has really given me hope that we can now move on from it. Ultimately, yes, I'm a black woman, but I am actually also a person of faith. I'm a child of God, and that's how I literally see it. That's my hope. Young people, young black people, young brown people, and actually young white people, young people, they give me hope. So many of us young people have just decided to be like, actually, no, you can't talk to us like that anymore. Like that you can't just treat us like this anymore. It always makes me feel like, all right, everything we're doing here, you know, maybe I won't see the kind of world that I want to see come to fruition in my lifetime, but it's on the way. And it's more a matter of of when, not if. Period. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Period. <laughs> <laughs> documentaries are produced by Jess Lawson and Ali Adlington with help from Emilia Gill, Moeed Majid and Kamaya Shea. We're, oh, come on. Could you try again? I'm not talking to you. I'm not sure I understand. (laughs) There's nothing to cancel. I'm actually dead. Oh my days. (laughs) Okay. Our music is from WMP Studios. Vent is a collaboration between Vice and Brent 2020, London Borough of Culture. (laughs) 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.